0: Hi everyone. I'm Nikki Porter and I'm Nadine Smith and this is Canada Horse Podcast brought to you by Informed Equestrian. We strive to enhance the lives of horse owners by facilitating conversations that make people want to talk. Canada Horse Podcast, we are spotlighting the Canadian horse industry while serving our mission to help bridge the knowledge gap for horse owners by offering the whys behind the decisions we make for our horses from their tack to their trainers to their vet care and everything in between.
1: Our listeners are encouraged to use the information offered here on the Canada Horse Podcast to make informed choices that suit their individual needs. We believe in education over judgment and informed choices over following the crowd.
0: Welcome everyone to episode number four of Canada Horse Podcast. I am thrilled to bring you an interview today with both myself, Nadine, and Mr. Matt Hudson. Thanks for coming on the show, Matt.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: No problem. So Matt, I was trying to sort out when exactly it was that I met you, and I feel like it was when I first started dating my husband, and he was invited to one of your guys' family hockey games.
2: <laughs> that would probably be at yeah, Hillsboro. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was a long yeah. time ago. I feel like that would have been like that 11 was. years ago at this point.
2: <laughs> it's better to don't count. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, we won't count. <laughs> So going back there, that was just kind of like casual meeting. And then we've met more than a few times along the way. And you are definitely someone within our house that if we're coming up against any sort of uh, conversation between the two of us about our horses or working horses or have any training questions, you're the first one on my husband's lips that are like, oh, we should we should call Matt and ask that question. And yeah. so you're normally on our list. The two of you are on our driving list of like, oh, we should call Nadine and Mark. Oh, we should call Matt. Um, right. We should just get on conference calls together. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so what uh, what I've loved the most about knowing you is uh, the fact that you introduced me to my now horse, Ford, and you matched us Perfectly. So I really, really appreciate that. But rather than talk about that, I would love for you to be able to tell us more about yourself. What's your background with horses? What are you up to now? And what do you enjoy most about your work? Well, I was
2: born on the Broadleaf Farms there in New Brunswick. Thankfully enough, I was always around family with horses for sure, and was always supported by that. Really. As far as horses, I always, I started with the Gymkhana and, you know, doing all the game weekend stuff and and then into team penning. I did that for a few years.
0: Oh, I've ridden with your family in team penning. And I remember standing there and having them ride circles around me and we're like flying to the pen. I still haven't done anything and (laughs) (laughs) they're ready to finish the run. I was like, Oh my God.
1: (laughs)
2: That's for sure. Uh, The team penning was definitely really the first competitive uh sport I did for sure um as far as barrel racing and stuff like you always try to you know do the best you can for sure but as a kid it was always for the fun and yeah it was kind of nice to start in that because you really had no pressure really just Mm. stay on your horse and finish the the run basically but yeah when we went to the team penning it for sure felt a little more competitive at times (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but yeah no it was all it was all good. And then I actually did a Sophie Lavadier's clinic at Donnie Adams. Uh, my aunt Wendy set that up and I took the weekend clinic there. And after that, it just, it was a hundred percent towards raining for sure. Um, just That's
0: funny because was it was actually a Sophie clinic that Nadine and I connected over raining. Do you remember that Nadine? Oh yeah. It was like, sure. we went to the Sophie clinic and I was on a cow pony and mm-hmm. I was like, actually the both of us came together and we we're like, we're going to Sumac. We're going to, we're going to this show. And, uh, that was the start of, of me going deeper into rating. And I know Nadine, how did you feel in that clinic?
1: Oh yeah, no, Sophie was great. We were all in at that yeah. point. We were like, let's go to Quebec. Let's, and figure out (laughs) everything
0: we can do. (laughs) Now, I can't say that that clinic's probably ever going to get us to the level that you have now achieved, Matt, but a girl can dream. So (laughs) why don't you tell us right now, where are you? I know there's a lot of in-between story between you going to that Sophie Clinic years ago, we won't say how many years ago, and where you are now, but give us like the Coles Note version of how you got there to where you are.
2: Well, I uh, took that clinic and then Sophie agreed if I would the following summer which was like three months after that clinic I guess but she said I could take that horse which was our team pinning horse at the time but we've been told he's done raining back in his younger days bingo and um anyway she said I could bring that horse up to her place for the summer and try raining with him and so I did the beginner there and two hands thank God because that horse you needed it and uh (laughs) He was a little rammy, (laughs) Um, but that's how I really started. And then after that summer, I was still hooked for sure. And I actually, I remember telling mom and dad that I, you know, didn't want to lose what I learned and all that and kind of needed to uh, plan to go somewhere where there was an arena and, uh, but I could have room to, you know, practice the patterns and all that stuff. Because at our farm, our indoor arena is like maybe 40 by 40, if that. And uh, that's when I moved in with your husband <laughs> 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 for a couple of weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And then, uh, yeah, I How forget. Old were you? No, I was, I was thirteen.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. thirteen. And then, uh, pretty much after that clinic, I struggled with school. Mm-hmm. You know, to sit all day and and basically think what horse I could ride after school, and you know what work I had to do. I was definitely a, a worker in that sense. So after I moved home, and then moved to Nova Scotia there for a couple of weeks. I probably, you know, I, I had a hard time basically being in a new spot and stuff like that at that age. And, uh, so I kind of moved back home and tried school. And even after that, I was only in school probably four months or so, and then ended up moving up with Sophie permanently doing homeschool and stuff. Uh, so the deal was I worked for her for half a day and didn't homeschool the other half Then moved up there and even that homeschool stuff didn't work out too good <laughs> I uh yeah I just the work days kept getting longer and before you knew it I didn't have the afternoon so mm-hmm. I kind of unfortunately didn't finish that part of the the school but I was with Sophie for about four years uh living with her and then the last year and a half I had the uh, rented my own apartment and stuff I was probably, I'm having to think now, but I was probably 17 when I moved to uh, Texas to work for Luke in Whitesboro, Texas. And I was with him for just under two years. And that was a huge thing for me for sure, because Sophie, you know, she got me hooked in the, the sense of thinking of, um, you know, thinking of the mind of the horse and everything. And, you know, we were, definitely competitive and all that stuff and but when I went to Luke he was like a a little army school I mean we started early and we finished late and everything was it was a lot more of a routine and you know uh, he taught me a lot on you know doing the extra basically but yeah that was a huge uh, part of my career for sure and then after Texas for two years moved to Italy for four years and how did you go off. from
0: texas to italy like wh- like what actually happens to someone to make that a possibility
2: well when i was working with luke there was an italian there sergio leah he had horses with luke and he he's a big breeder there in texas still today and uh he was one of luke's clients and where i moved to in italy their trainer was moving to the US actually to work for Tim McQuay, Marco Ricotta. And he asked me if I would be willing to take his spot in Italy. That actually was a, when I think back of, you know, my career and who I am today, for sure, that was probably the biggest thing Mm. that I could have done that meant a lot. Because one, I was not ready for that at all. Mm. You know, I worked for Sophie and at Sophie, I was was more of the you know, Cowboy Joe who kind of rode everything and if there was a problem and, you know, kind of the, that type of guy. And then Luke definitely more of a program and had to, you know, every horse had to go through those steps and all that stuff. And, and when I went to Luke, I might've showed maybe four times mm-hmm. the whole time I was with Luke and right at the end. And, you know, with Sophie, I was always a youth or, you know, I never really was in the open competitive spot, really. And when I moved to Italy, it was like, it just felt like I was not ready to, to be the open, you know, head trainer of a big breeder over there in Italy. And that was huge because in many ways, but one over there, they're, you know, they're always willing to help and everything. But at the same time, you're, you're riding a home alone and you know what you have to do and you know, you're not able to do it. <laughs> and I remember that week where I really, uh, struggled whether I should stay or go. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I literally looked at my horses to be the ones to basically teach me what works and what don't. And, uh, that was huge for sure.
0: So you're then in Italy for four years and you're head trainer in Italy for four years. What brought you back home?
2: Well, uh, the last year and a half in Italy, I started my own Business and it was uh, going very, very well. It's funny, the last year in Italy was probably the best out of the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had a phone call from Andre de Belfay, which is a big breeder in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And he offered me a job to be the head trainer at his facility and when he first called that also came through Sophie <laughs> which mm-hmm. is funny but uh <laughs> she gave him my number and stuff but when he first called I wasn't really interested uh everything was set up pretty good there and and then literally after that night like I knew you know I'm a big family guy for sure so I knew at one point I will be moving closer to home and, and then laying there that night I was just thinking that you know that's quite the opportunity to be closer to home and still he breeds the best reigning horses around really. So Mm -hmm. it kind of was a win-win and I called him back the next day and we went from there.
0: Awesome. So fast forward, how many years to where we are right now? Because now you are in Ontario. So how did you get from Quebec to Ontario?
2: Yes. So I worked for Andre from November, 2010 to I think November, 2014. We're testing, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So four years at his place. And, and then, yeah, it was after I left his place, I rented a facility uh, there in Dunham, Quebec mm-hmm. uh, for a year. And then at that place, I was just renting per month, basically. And then the opportunity came up to buy a place in Quebec and just outside saint saint which mm-hmm. we jumped on that and we set it up for, you know, to give it the trial for three years and decide if we were really wanting that route or not. And I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason. So uh, we always knew we didn't, you know, we loved living in Quebec and everything and, and uh, business was always good, but uh, we knew at one point, you know, long-term, we weren't going to stay there forever. So uh, at the end of the three years, one of my clients, Al Rose, he was building a spot. So came up for a new year's party and, (laughs) long story short he asked us to come there we jumped on that and it was a big career change because in Quebec I had well, I would say about 30-35 horses in training oh. um a couple employees and so it was a lot which you know you kind of have to do that I guess to Makes find life. your horses and yeah all that stuff and it's funny how it all worked out because when Al talked to me I was starting to realize that you know we're doing a lot of work and mm-hmm. it. uh didn't know for the family part if that was uh, the best thing to do, basically. And, and uh, when we talked to him, it was a big change because I went from, you know, my own business with 35 head to having a private. You know, we started up the partnership of HR Prospects and it's a 12 stall barn and that's all we have. And, you know,
0: mm.
2: I ride them and the numbers change big time, but I see a huge difference for sure.
0: Oh, that's good. Alan is his wife are both phenomenal people. And you seem like you've landed in a very nice place to be able to shift into a family life or more family concentrated life. So that seems, you know, from the outside, it looks like it's been a great transition for you.
2: Yes. No, it, uh, Well, they are pretty much like, they feel like family on every aspect for sure. And don't get me wrong, we're still definitely competitive in the sense (laughs) of, uh, you know, trying to get the best stock we can. And Mm -hmm. we're definitely wanting to do more stateside and all that stuff. But basically, we learned that, you know, more ain't always the best. And, uh, you know, less is more, basically, in in, uh, every aspect of life, really. Having less horses, I'm putting more time on them. And not having to deal with the employee stuff and it just all works out better than you think you're when you're in the moment you're kind of scared to drop those numbers but <laughs> it uh, it really don't pan out <laughs> when you're thinking of more so yeah. yeah i
1: feel like i feel like you probably learned that at a younger age than a lot of other people do because even when you listen to some of the older professional horsemen they have talked about i know i've heard clinton anderson talk about how he went way too big and then Kind of came back down
2: hey yeah yeah and when i said about the new year's party that it was actually al rose who kind of forced that one on me to be mm-hmm. honest i i remember that conversation like yesterday it was a very meaningful powerful conversation for sure just being my wife Lindsay, and him and his wife chris and sat down i think we talked for about two and a half three hours and, and what uh, a better
1: time to have it hey than new year's like start all start fresh yeah
2: yeah <laughs> No, at the I remember it like crazy. It I at that time I probably owned I want to say fifteen horses of myself or partnerships or you know whatever um, had combined of fifteen head and and uh, literally I remember the talk how you know we were moving there in thirty days and I had to knock it down to about three. <laughs> and uh yeah it was a hard move for sure because you feel like it's Or myself I felt like I was basically giving up at that time uh felt like it wasn't you know almost like you're taking a step back at uh when you're in the moment mm-hmm. and then after I quickly realized I was like "Jeez, that is true <laughs> less <laughs> is more I've been here three years now and other than last year of COVID but uh the other two years we had really good success in both years so but uh, yeah, it's been going great.
1: That's awesome, Matt. So, uh, well, first of all, hi, because I don't even know if I said hi at the beginning. <laughs> I was just watching you guys kind of reconnect and just, like sitting back and uh, yeah. So thank you to everyone for joining us today and for Matt as well. And I feel like the last time I saw you, I was literally riding around um, a ring with no hands. <laughs> yes. I think I had my reins tied around my horn. And for some reason, I'm doing like laps, like large, fast circles with no
2: hands. <laughs> yeah, that was a big step for you, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was at that time. Yeah. Now, you, you should see me now. No. Oh no. man, you
0: should see what she does now.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm sure.
1: No. no, we love having you here in Nova Scotia for clinics and we would be very happy if COVID would go away and you could come back over.
2: <laughs> yes, no, I'm looking forward to it for sure.
1: And so being where you are right now, do you think you could give us just kind of an example of what a day in your life is like? Like what what happens you're not doing 35 horses a day but can you kind of give us an example of kind of what your daily life is like
2: well right now I have 14 head at the barn just because all the two-year-olds are still living outside so we're a couple over our numbers but now I just go you know I always have breakfast at home and all that stuff with the kids and then they get on the school bus I take them to the bus stop and then I go right to work and I first thing I do is drag the arena because I can't start a day without fresh ground so That's the first step I do. And then I do my list and really just ride horses until lunch and eat lunch and ride more horses until the afternoon. About 4.30 we feed and Al's always there and we always sit down and talk about the day and how the horses were and all that stuff. But as far as day, I'm trying to think how I could explain the two-year-olds and stuff. Really, I like to do the two-year-olds, especially in the wintertime. I do them first just because... They're only like 15, 20 minutes each, and it's normally pretty cold in the morning, <laughs> mm-hmm. so they, they keep me warm. But yeah, I, I always switch as far as which one I ride first. If I'm struggling to figure something out on one uh, the day before, then he's definitely my number one first thing the next day. Mm-hmm. So
1: oh, Cool. Okay. That's interesting. So, so what do you have like a few two-year-olds and then the rest of them are three-year-olds right now?
2: Yeah. This year we have four two-year-olds, yearling coming two, and I have six three-year-olds for this year and I have two four-year-olds. Okay. So,
1: and so would all of those be owls or do you, are they training horses that people send to you?
2: Uh, most are owls or partnership with owls. I do have a few clients that I bring in. I have a couple clients that are there now that's been with me since 2014 there. Really, we, we play that by year. The purpose of our plan is to try to, you know, for an example, this year I have six three-year-olds. So really, I don't need any more to come into training Uh, I only have two four-year-olds so technically if I wanted to try to find another derby horse for this year so we kind of play that part by year uh, because it kind of goes up and down every year Uh, last year I only had one three-year-old so but with COVID we didn't go anywhere. anyways but no I just play that by year so which I find works out really good because for an example if Al has five three-year-olds and then I take a couple more in training you know that's out of five three-year olds you should have plenty to to work with right so
0: yeah let's assume that things get rolling and a little bit back to back to normal and that we can actually show again what would your plans be to show and what circuits would you be showing if everything's up and rolling again in 2021
2: well the first would be Just because our two four-year-olds, they didn't show, so I don't really know them. (laughs) I know them at home, but Mm -hmm. not as far as a show horse. So technically, I wouldn't plan any early derbies with them because I just don't know them enough. I need to get them out and you know Mm -hmm. do a couple smaller shows. But the first one would be probably Quebec Circuit. Mm -hmm. I would take all my three-year-olds there and get them out and kind of start testing them in that sense and basically try to hit. The state side around May or June.
0: Okay. And the end goal is?
2: Well, uh, the end goal with the three year olds would be to have three to go to Oklahoma. That's uh, that's definitely our end and main concentration for sure. So, uh,
0: for those of our listeners that don't understand why you would be looking to go to Oklahoma, could you explain to us what is the futurity?
2: The NRHA futurity is like the highest and most prestige event for the three-year-olds in the sport of reigning basically the toughest event there is really uh for a three-year-old there's now there's one go and then a semi-final and then a final so if you're lucky you're showing that horse three times in a week and a half like that's a lot of mm. you know it's a high demand for sure on the horse but but yeah that's the biggest sport or biggest class of mm. the year really for that three-year-old but now you know i'm starting to realize the. difference in thinking about that a little bit just just because now there's so many pre fraturities which are maybe a little bit smaller but you know there's still a lot of money at it in New York or Virginia or Ohio and so now and you can't do them all with that three-year-old so you you really got to choose and pick which ones you take where and so the bonus of having the six this year I'm I'm definitely going to take my time a little more than I have in the past and go to a lot more smaller shows earlier
1: mm-hmm.
2: and basically the three that I picked to be the top ones. I will not do hard, maybe one pre-fraturity, but no more than that. Okay. And just do little schooling shows to prepare for Oklahoma.
0: Perfect. What does 2021 look like for you if you have to stay in Canada?
2: Oh, that's looking a little, <laughs>
1: <laughs> a little sad. And, uh,
2: yeah, a little little desperate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, it's hard to, well, if I have to stay here, I can see for sure selling probably two or three of the six three-year-olds to the state side because there's three that I have that I know for sure are really nice horses. So if I can't go over, then somebody deserves to ride them for sure. So I'll Mm. put them for sale. But if I'm staying in Canada, then uh, I definitely do Quebec Circuit if they have it. And they do have one here in Ontario, which I will probably end up doing too. Okay. So.
0: Awesome. Nadine and I have our trailers packed for Quebec already.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> from
0: last
1: year, already. from last year. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah. Um, just a follow up question to that before we move on, Matt, in terms of Canada, so we're familiar with Eastern Canada, but is there also a, a like a bigger Raining circuit out west as well that would be worth going to or
2: yes uh, I know like I know a few people out there that uh, they do have their circuit on the west coast for sure the only problem with us is that you know their their prize money like Quebec would probably be one of the biggest uh, in Canada as far as prize money in their uh, class per se Um, Alberta they do have their circuit it's just it's quite a drive um so if we're hauling three-year-olds out there it's you know technically you don't really know how they're going to travel that far and all that stuff but uh Mm -hmm. but if we are stuck in Canada I could see us looking into that for sure
1: okay yeah that makes sense so right now you're stuck in Canada right you you, can you with your business go across or no
2: we can um if your transport is commercial Mm -hmm. then you got to run it through as commercial and you know last year if I had the three-year-olds that I have this year I would have done that for Oklahoma but last year I only had the one so it just it seemed like you know for a three-year-old that you never had out before you had one horse drive all the way there you know it just it seemed like a a big question mark but this year if it's the same scenario then yeah we will probably take the three and go commercial and uh, go at her. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh that'd be great then okay so it's looking good and just to i just want to go back a little bit to the the two and three year olds that you're starting and i believe that we heard you on andrea fapani's podcast once um talking about electric snow were you one of the trainers that that worked on starting him
2: yes i uh when i was working for andre we uh I forget what year that was, but um, we started him there in Quebec because uh, he breeds all the horses in, in Whitesboro at Cedar Ridge. Um, and then we ship them back when they're yearlings. And then they're there all summer as a yearling. And then we break them in the fall. So yeah, he was one of them that year. So he
1: was pretty yeah. special, right? Like he he did quite well. Is that?
2: Oh yeah. No, he was, he was very special. Right from the get-go, he was pretty unique. He was a little little tougher because he, he always, you know, he was extremely smart. So like when I say little tougher, it wasn't him per se. It was just make sure you didn't mess up because <laughs> he'll remember. That was the, oh, the biggest thing with him.
1: That's really cool. So yeah, so what we were kind of wondering is when you see so many of those young horses go through, do you find that you have a sense of which ones are going to be, you know, really special from the beginning when you have them?
2: Yes, that... Uh... That part for sure. It's just, it's such a long road. (laughs) Like if you, if you think of the day one, you put on them to, you know, keeping in your mind, the end goal as a three-year-old is at Oklahoma. Like there's so much that goes from day one to that event. Like I had a few that were, you know, maybe they, they felt special early, but you know, later in their two-year-old year, they had to be gelding. Mm -hmm. and or mares that you know start changing their temperament and like there's a lot that goes into those two and a half years of prep for that one show for sure but when you first start a special horse you definitely feel the willingness the the mind that they're trying to figure stuff out like all that little details which is very very important you you notice that stuff pretty early Mm -hmm.
1: so it's not all about the confirmation and the the breeding some of it's just like you see it in their mind basically
2: oh yeah no that like i always look at the like as far as the breeding goes i always look at the confirmation first for sure and then their mind and then the breeding after the breeding would be the, probably the last thing i look at just because they could be bred to the hilt but they don't have the mind to handle anything nor are they trying to understand it so it's it's a uh, that part i look at first for sure all the young ones that i start i want to Just feel that connection that they're trying, even though they don't understand it, you feel them trying, you know, each day come out a little bit different and just trying to understand what you're doing.
0: Okay. So I have a question for that. So do you do any sort of groundwork? Like what is, what is your basic starting process to be able to see what their mind is like kind of from the get-go?
2: Well, I'm definitely maybe a little different than some, but (laughs) (laughs) no, uh, Day one, I always sack them out uh, with a little bag on the, you know, the end of the whip and stuff, just with a halter and lead rope. And normally I do that a day or two. And then once I feel them good, I I basically try to follow their mind. So like if I'm sacking them out one day and I have one that is like all 30 minutes is uptight about that bag, then I won't even think about saddling it. But if I'm sacking it out and I feel like in 10 minutes that horse don't care, then I will put the saddle on and, and do that extra step um, that day or the day after it all, it all depends on the individual. But if I feel like I didn't get through their mind on the first step, I definitely don't think about saddling them. I do not do too much groundwork. The only thing I concentrate on is sacking them out, that they're not scared of you pressure off the halter in the sense that if they're trying to get away and I pull them towards me, they're going to follow me type of deal. Like I won't get on one's back. If I feel like they're every time I go towards them, they're trying to pull me with them.
0: <laughs> so the thing uh, that I've heard most about you is that you have incredible timing and feel with a horse. And I watched a video that you put on a couple, it might've been a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was a couple days ago. I don't know. My time's all blending together now, but you, it, I think it was your third ride on one of your horses and you were in an open field loping around and I was like, I that I am not that brave. But (laughs) obviously you felt safe enough with that little mare to be able to to swing a leg over in that situation and you knew that you had enough handle on her to to do that.
2: Yeah. They were all hoping that out of the blue she would start bucking (laughs) and buck me off. But uh no I I definitely brazen. wouldn't. Have, yeah, I wouldn't have done it if I felt that way. But yeah. <laughs> but normally, you know, knock on wood, and you know, as far as working with a two-year-old in six, seven days total, I do feel that they're no matter what. If something went wrong, they're looking at me, mm-hmm. basically to to know what to do. You know, uh, so like for an example, that Philly out in the field, like that was their third ride, but I I felt inside that you know snow could fall off the roof and she wouldn't care or you know somebody could open the garage door and she would look at me like if that thing's you know gonna hurt her or not so when you start to feel that you can basically do anything I find so yeah absolutely.
1: And, and I
2: like to do it I you know I enjoy the two-year-olds and and I also enjoy making it different for them like that one I can tell you in four or five days it almost felt like you know, she deserves to do something new so she can see a difference. Like she just, every day was, it was almost like it was too easy. I felt like she, she would get bored quick and, and she's actually a daughter of electric snow.
0: I was going to say, she's a special little one. I feel like you, yeah. you, I met her when she was quite little and you had a bit of a sparkle in your eye when you spoke about her in mm-hmm. not last summer, but the summer before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, because her dad was very similar, like super easy, you get to his mind super quick. But if he felt like he was just wasting his time, <laughs> he would test you a little bit. So mm-hmm. it, uh, like for an example, her, her dad, uh, the first four rides, he would go with his nose on the dirt, loose rain. looked like he had probably 60, 90 days of riding. Mm-hmm. But by the fourth day or fifth day, he was like bored of that, so he would start playing with you, like going straight down the wall. He'd pick up speed and kind of start messing with you because he was bored. So, yeah, that that Philly reminds me a lot of that. They're extremely smart, and you just got to kind of keep them interested,
1: okay? Yeah, that's a really good point of view, I think. And I would say it takes that's the um, a really good example of giving them a really good start because that's what you want. You want a horse that will look to you, and sometimes it takes a lot longer if you don't have the right people putting the beginning starting on these horses.
2: No, I, I agree 100%. But it's funny, because it's such a small detail. Like for a young one, it's like a kid, right? So a young one, a little something different one day is like a huge difference. Like that, that could have made their day if it was something so different, but they had no idea what that was, then mm-hmm. their mind is going to start coming to you. And it's not a big thing. It's like taking that filly out to the field. Like just being outside is different. So Mm -hmm. she'll start, you know, loping around and looking at you to know what you wanted her to do type of deal.
0: Awesome. I'm going to take a quick break here. Our sponsor is Pache Motors. They're the largest Ram HD dealer in Atlanta, Canada. They're family owned and operated and they're highly trained staff, know trucks, towing and hauling better than anyone. So thank you Paches and Matt, we're going to come back to you with a little bit of a question that hopefully will help our listeners if they feel like they want to get into the horse world a little bit. So we know that you've traveled the world and you've studied with a lot of professionals. If there's anyone listening right now that has hopes and dreams of becoming a professional trainer, whether that be in reining or otherwise, do you have any advice on how they can achieve that? whether that be here in Canada or steps that they could take to get to a place where they're successful as a trainer and competitor, anyone who kind of has it in the back of their head that they would like to take risk versus reward. I have this dream. Is it possible?
2: Okay. For a professional to go, you know, to become a professional running trainer or whatever, uh, I would just fully convince them to go work at a, a program That they like that they feel more is like their type of type of riding or their type of horsemanship and and literally stick with it because i i won't lie when i was with sophie i felt like king shit basically because i was like able to do anything that she asked me to do and then horses come to her for training and with big problems you know i was the one fixing it and then i went to luke and I can promise you there was like a six month period when I'm, I felt like I did not even know how to ride like just from the different program. Um, like it, it can easily, um, make you feel like you're not good <laughs> or, uh, you know, if you go to a program and just because it's new, you're going to feel like you're confused. You're going to feel like you can't do it because you've done stuff that you know you were able to, or, you know, you, you, you accomplish some stuff a different way. Um, I just hope that someone went to a a training facility that they had, um, what's the word, that uh, faith in their program and also the horsemanship part of it uh, because the horsemanship part is huge because in the sport of raining I mean, you can can go to a facility that, that is basically about, you know, trying to win and basically making every horse go through the same program, which in my opinion does not work. They're all individuals and you kind of got to try to figure them out yourself. So, but to me, I, I would fully <laughs> say stick to someone. And if you feel like it's, you know, not going to work or you get discouraged from it, you just got to stick it out because it's something new. You're going to feel like, you know, not capable and kind of get yourself down, but you're literally i've been there a couple times italy did it too so it um, no you just gotta stick with it and don't get too discouraged off of a couple things that don't work yeah
1: great advice yeah definitely and then so on the other side of that for the people that are not interested in becoming professional or showing in a in an open show yeah. what if they just want to stay as a non-pro so you know from nikki and myself or anybody else that's just kind of in the middle there and and you're doing local shows do you have any do you have any advice I guess on doing the certain circuits or how you should be competing or what trainers you should be working with if you want to kind of succeed at a non-pro level
2: I find the biggest thing that gets in the way of a non-pro is overthinking they think everything should feel or has to be perfect and 90 percent of the time it isn't (laughs) so I find with non-pros it's it's literally when you're trying to figure out because the sport of raining. So, people coming from say they came from pleasure, you know, or uh, English or whatever it is, the sport of raining has so many things in one pattern that you have to feel and you have to get good at or, you know, practice it and all that, like stopping, spinning, you know, fast circle, slow down. Like, there's a lot into one raining pattern. And I find with the non pros, they almost like overwork their own mind, thinking way too much. You know how the horse has to be, has has to look, and all that. And a lot of times, you know that can come from the trainer too. Um, if you're if you're with the trainer that you know expects everything to stay together. In the sense, when I say together, the horse is bridled up and looks all compacted, and you know keep that frame all through a pattern it, it don't really work out that way so the biggest thing for non-pros I find that they just have to enjoy it and have to try to feel comfortable that things might not always work out great <laughs> and the biggest thing is just when you go home practice what didn't work out so for an example if you're if you're showing and you have a hard time stopping or the horse wasn't good stopping then go home. And I don't say practice that every day of the week, but pick two, three days that you're putting yourself into that show mode and practicing it at home. Because most non-pros ride and have fun at home and then they go show and they're all serious. So their whole mood changes. Mm -hmm. The horse will feel that everything will change. So I'm a firm believer on non-pros at home, you know, ride, have fun, work on your horse, how you need to work on them, but pick one or two days a week and put yourself in that show mode because it's totally different.
1: I absolutely agree with that. And I feel like it's taken me a few years personally to get to that point where I want to put that much pressure on that I've seen that it actually helps to put the pressure on at home so that when you get to the show, it's not as anxiety provoking. (laughs) Yeah. That that
2: can build up pretty quick. Yeah.
1: 2020 may have helped you a little
0: bit in that. Nadine, you actually did some like COVID shows over 2020. And yeah. did you, did you feel that at home? Like it was helpful for you to actually practice and video yourself at home for those shows?
1: It was really fun because there was no pressure. It was like, I just went out, spiffed up my horse, got on, did my pattern and got off and was <laughs> it was I was done. like, so well, that was a good ride. ride. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: that oh, was great. What I find, and this is where, I wonder kind of what it's like in Ontario and Quebec where there's maybe more competitive circuit is that are people working with their coaches all the time, like every week or, or constantly they're at their barn with their trainer and stuff. Because what I feel like is some things are lost in translation because when we have just a clinic every once in a while, you're just focusing on the maneuvers, but you miss the parts about just getting the practice or the the pattern right or just the very little things about slowing down. So you're getting your spin correct instead of trying to speed up and get more than what you really have, you know?
2: Yeah, that's for sure. The thing with Quebec and Ontario versus down East is definitely one. There's more shows in the sense of, um, you know, in the rookie class there's like 60 riders, right? So it it's, it's a lot more competitive, but at the same time, that is like a motivation so, when you go home, you know, um, you're working towards what didn't work and trying to climb up that ladder, right? Mm-hmm. I find a little lower key horse show, you can kind of get stuck on, you know, not being super motivated to go home and, you know, say, well, I can do that. That can be better. For an example, if you were doing something a, a minus half, well, why can't I do that a zero, you know, or vice versa, doing something a plus half and, knowing that you're able to do it another half up to get a one, you know, it, uh, it takes horse shows to make you commit when you go home to step it up. And like, it's funny, you talked about doing that video of you showing and stuff at home and didn't have that anxiety and, and stress level. Mm-hmm. That is why I do videos every day of the week because yeah. I, one, I don't do it just to post it. I, I have, I, actually just took them off my phone there the other day I have 7,000 videos I do it how much
0: what how do you have storage for that like
2: I (laughs) I had to go to a Samson and then I put in a memory card
0: oh my gosh (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) the apple didn't work for me
0: (laughs) I don't want to change okay
2: (laughs) but I like it takes yourself to be committed in that sense like every video I do I do it and I watch it as if I'm coaching somebody, because mm-hmm. that's the only downfall of, of uh, you know, living in Canada and versus Texas, for an example, like you're around, you drive five minutes, there's probably 25 horse trainers, right? Or you're at one facility, and there's six horse trainers riding there. So they're all going to motivate themselves. Mm-hmm. Here, I find you got to do it yourself. And the only way I found that works for me is do a video. And be pretty critic on yourself in the sense of look at what can be better. And, um, you know, don't over overwhelm yourself and the degree of checking that. But, you know, if you video yourself and you literally video as if you're showing. And what I mean by that is basically don't help your horse. You will see what you have to work on. Uh, they will tell you pretty darn quick.
1: I think that's great advice. Yeah, it is. Let's move on to something i'm really excited about today (laughs) (laughs) yes she is
0: (laughs) but before we do let's have a quick message from the canadian quarter horse association join the canadian quarter horse association and share your passion for the american quarter horse breed become a part of our community and share your experiences and stories It's our stories and the lines of familiarity we can draw between them that make us a community of Canadians who have a love for the quarter horse breed and an interest in its future. Join us today. Membership is free at cqha.ca.
1: This is our You Tell Me Yours, I'll Tell You Mine segment. And so okay. this is where we just share little fun stories. And um, today we want to know about your best horse show experience or memory. So who wants to go first?
0: I'll go first. Okay. All right. So my favorite, I was 14, I think. I would have just turned 14 that year. And uh, this is when I peaked in horses. <laughs> so I didn't go off to Italy. I just went to Toronto. <laughs> so I uh, I showed at the Royal in Toronto. And my the reason why it was my favorite was because I had the opportunity to warm up in the same warm-up pen as Ian Miller. And that was a big moment for me where I was like, okay, I'm here, I'm doing the thing. And then I had to do the thing in front of someone who I was terrified to ride in front of. And, uh, and I was able to push through it. And uh, it was, I can still remember the smell of the Royal Winter Fair, and I haven't been there since. So it was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. I was very lucky to have that opportunity. My parents gave me the the opportunity because it was not, it was our most expensive trip. Uh, We didn't do family trips. And that was our family trip. So they paid for all of that i stayed with my my coach i wasn't allowed to stay with my family while i was there and uh it was yeah it was quite the experience so that was mine matt you tell me yours
2: oh (laughs) i'm trying to think i was trying to give you some
0: time to think that's why why i volunteered
2: (laughs) well i have a couple though but the The one that meant the most for sure was on the World Equestrian Games in France Mm -hmm. for Team Canada. Mm -hmm. That was definitely uh, quite an honor and and a complete different feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. Like when you feel you're riding for your country and then you're over there with the other big guys from U.S. and all over the world. It was definitely a a huge feeling for sure. Um, Just, yeah, it was pretty hard to beat that one
1: yeah yeah that would (laughs) be it was a
2: complete yeah it was a like making the finals you know the level four finals in Oklahoma that was you know you you definitely felt meaningful and all that stuff but that one in Normandy France I don't know exactly how to explain it Uh, I'm guessing that's just because it's you know for your country and you're there as a team Uh, it was just a, a whole complete different feeling for sure Yeah, the
0: team dynamic that would definitely add an element to it for sure especially where you're so used to being in a solo sport
2: yes no that uh that for sure was a but the first story why I had to take a minute to think (laughs) real quick because (laughs) the the one that popped in my head first was mare I showed in Quebec at the fraternity um she was by Hankton Surprise Mm -hmm. and We tried to sell her all year long. (laughs) And it's funny because I even forget what she was priced at. But the first show I took her to was Sumac down in Nova Scotia for when they had the snaffle bit for charity there. And she ended up doing really good. Shocked me there. That was in August. And then the Quebec for charity was in September and the first week of September. So she was not in the program. And because she won in Sumac, we made a deal um, that we would pay her up in the Quebec program, which was two grand. And then I had to show her in Quebec and I did the first go. I think she was almost last. <laughs> I won't lie. It was not good. <laughs> and then the night before the final, I was in the, in the showground in the indoor arena at uh, Blaineville. And there might have been 10 people riding, maybe. And she was just so tight, like uptight. She felt like she did not want to do anything for me that night. Like I couldn't, for an example, on the right circle, she was diving in like crazy. And every time I left my hand, she was just so worked up. And I was in there probably five minutes. And then I took her outside in the big outdoor pen. There was one street light there or whatever. and I rode her out there alone. And I remember Sophie and them walking by and thinking like, are uh, you going to show that one tomorrow? <laughs> but <laughs> I took her out there for a couple of reasons. One, too many people inside, and it just felt like you you could not do what you had to do to get to her head and make her realize that there was nothing to worry about. So I took her outside and loped her on the right side and just literally would lift my hand up to the left. And kind of, I wanted her to lope straight into the corners, right? So she wouldn't fall in. And I was probably out there doing that for 45 minutes until she felt like she was literally relaxed and just guiding. But at that time, I was out of horse. So I didn't go back in that arena, didn't stop her in that show pen, didn't do any of that. I just loped outside until I felt like i guide her into those corners and she felt relaxed about it. And went in the final the next day and she won it with a 150. And wow. a half, I think it was but I did not sleep all night <laughs> <laughs> and like that's a little show compared to showing in Oklahoma and all that stuff but that was by far the most meaningful one mm-hmm. because the night before I literally I had zero horse with me and to overthink that you were able to not do what you had to do in that show ground for an example test the ground stopping and get her good in that arena Mm -hmm. and you were okay with just trying to lope her outside to basically feel like you could lope. That's a, that was very hard for me to feel comfortable with, (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but it taught me a lot. So that was, it's a small, smaller show compared to the other ones, but that one meant a lot for sure.
0: I think that tells us all a little something though. Like that's, Mm -hmm. I think anyone who's listening and they're not Ever feeling like they're gonna to go to those big shows. I think that's a great story to share because I think we can all have those experiences at like I I remember uh like literally I'm not gonna be able to compare this is like apples to oranges, but I remember my my most memorable hunter round was at a training show on a pony that somebody just tossed me on and was like, Can you go and do this round? And I still feel that round today. And like, (laughs) I, it it just was, it was so flawless, but that was at a backyard show. And I still remember feeling it and like leaving that show feeling so good versus all of these bigger shows that, that I've competed at. So it's, you know, it, it doesn't have to do with the size of the show. It's really like, what are you against personally you and your horse you know feeling that connection come together all the work pay off really no for yeah, sure I...
1: mine you tell me your show experience is that, is very much that it's a comparison of my horse and i from one year to the next at the smallest show like
2: yeah.
1: like just i went so when i brought well you guys both knew woody mm-hmm. um so when i got him he was he had six months of training and in my head at that time like he's broke <laughs> like, <laughs> I got a raining horse. I'm ready to go. And so I got him home and I'm like, I'm going to go take him back to PEI. And I'm going to go show with all my friends and it's going to be so fun. And um, so we had been practicing a lot of obstacle stuff at that point. I didn't even really do much raining yet. And so I brought him there and I swear he came off the trailer and he was galloping sideways on the lunch line. Like he was, <laughs> what in the heck did you do to me? Person, Because it was, it was a fair. So there's like, antique tractors, you know, backfiring and wood chipping and there's a Ferris wheel and there's all these things in this little small town fair where I'm from. And I, I didn't know what to do with him because he was like, didn't he was not with me. And so I bombed every, every class, you know, you, it's one of those ones where you just go in and you do all the classes. So you do like your little pleasure class and the raining class and the trail and all these things. And I was embarrassed. I just thought, oh my gosh, I did not, I wasn't ready for this. It was fun. I got to see my friends. And then the next, <laughs> it year, was fun. <laughs> I got to see my friends. That was about it. And- And so we worked hard and we practiced and I was like, okay, I'm going to come back the next year and see what I've got. And I won every single class. I think that I went in (laughs) Everything that we bombed the year before I even got a trophy. (laughs) (laughs) He came off the trailer, a different horse. And so I was so proud that, you know, we didn't matter what the show was or where it was. It was just like, I put in the work with him and took him to the same place and got completely different results. So that meant a lot.
2: Oh, Those are the huge moments.
1: That's awesome. Now
0: let's go to your favorite part of this, other than the fact that like Matt got to share his, but what, uh, what did a listener say for this Nadine?
1: Yeah. So Matt, just, just, you know, we put these questions out to our listeners as well, our followers on Instagram and Facebook, and then they kind of send us their stories. And so I couldn't believe when I got this one in. So this is from Ashley and she's an endurance rider and trainer. And so this year they had one competition one uh, endurance ride because of covid and so she had just finished her only ride of the year it was 75 miles it poured rain it was mountainous rocky terrain it was dark at the end they had to use glow sticks and so after the ride she finished the ride she got through it and the sky had cleared up but she was like exhausted wet heading back to her campsite with her boyfriend and as they're walking back, he just mentioned a time where, oh, you know, the the sky is so clear. It's just like this other date that we had with the, the stars were out and stuff. And he stopped and he turned, she turned around and he proposed to her.
2: Uh
1: <laughs> Right after her biggest show, her only show of the year, when she was like already emotional, she said she didn't even do anything but cry for like the longest <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> uh, so, that's a great I love that That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Talk about a horse show memory. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's funny. You can just imagine if you're that tired, right? Like how you'd feel.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, thank so, you for, uh, thank you for sharing Ashley. That is, uh, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So Matt, I guess just some final thoughts, just wondering if you have any kind of last advice for anybody wanting to get into reining or to compete at any level in the sport
2: well just all that talk about the you know showing when you feel like things are falling apart and you know like you when you took your horse off the trailer and you know he was a complete different horse the year after it the biggest thing is just literally know your horse and if you don't have the horse to do it then don't have expectations so high you know literally if your horse can step it up a little bit, then expect that, but don't expect a miracle in the sense of, you know, that's the biggest thing. Like that's the most satisfying that if you can do a reigning pattern and feel the whole time your horse is with you Mm -hmm. and it don't matter if you mark a 68, it don't matter if you mark a 74, just Mm -hmm. knowing that that horse is with you and then you go home and build off of that no matter what your score was. Mm -hmm. uh, That helped me a lot in the sense that, the main goal is to have your horse there the whole time you're in there, Mm -hmm. no matter what the score is. And then once you do that, then you build off of that. That A lot of people,
0: I need to take that with me.
2: (laughs) A lot of people do it ass backwards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They go in, they, you know, for an example, their horse at home can mark a 73. So they go in and they want to mark a 73, but it don't really work like that. That's why I do a lot of test shows just to know literally take those test shows to let your horse tell you where they're at when you really drop your hand and trying to show them so pick your shows don't do that at the biggest show of the year <laughs> mm. go to another class and literally have your mind set that you're going to go in there and let your horse tell you where he's at mm-hmm. and if you it, you might get lucky and he might be at 71 or 72 or you might find out he's at 68, 69, whatever it is, and then go home and, and literally build off of that.
0: I feel like that is hard for people who are really worried about what other people think without having to explain to people why things are happening the way they are. You know, like you have to go into the show pen with that mindset without you're not proving anything to anyone. You're literally just in there for oh, your horse.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. The, Like, when I told you that mare in Quebec there at the fraternity taught me a lot, it literally taught me that. Mm -hmm. Like, there was people in that arena, they saw how bad it was, they saw me leave, and they saw me just loping outside. And, like, literally, that's the first thing you think of. It's like, they're going to think, like, it's going to be a a train wreck, you know? uh, But that's what taught me that. It's like, if you do not feel your horse, no matter if it's riding at the show at nighttime or riding at home, you know, if you do not feel your horse with you, you're the one who needs to change to kind of get the horse with you, no matter what it is, or what it looks like, or how bad it looks like, only you can do that. So that when I said that taught me so much, it was like, because no matter who you are, you when you start into something, you always, I mean, nobody likes to look stupid, right? Or look bad. And you always carry that, Mm-hmm. The day you learn to not carry it <laughs> is when you will succeed. <laughs> yeah. And it, go, it goes by overthinking. Uh, that's why I wanted to say about the earlier when I said about the non-pros overthinking everything, that's literally all falls into the same category. It, uh, it's your biggest enemy. If you're overthinking what people think, everybody's going to think something anyways. Mm-hmm. So just knock it down to you and your horse. You know what you feel. You know what you want to feel. Mm-hmm. So, work at that.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic advice. I love it. Dean, you have any final questions for Matt? No,
1: just when can we book you to come back to Nova Scotia? Let's get <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. 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 No, and okay. it, it is so hard in a clinic because at a clinic, you know, or when I give clinics, I try to like improve, you know, everybody goes to a clinic. With a problem or with something they want to improve, so just being there two days, I kind of throw it into their hands on what you know. I try to cover everything, but uh, I throw it into their hands to tell me what their biggest thing is, and it it's all to do with that because your biggest thing thinking at home is going to affect you in the show pen. So, like when I give a clinic, a, you know, I try to just take everybody out of their comfort zone and try to make that point like it might not be doing maneuvers or you know it might just be by overcoming your own confidence on what it looks like and and being okay with that that's the biggest thing to overcome but you'd be shocked on how many people get stuck in it (laughs) in two days it's definitely hard to cover everything but that's why I'm a firm believer on trying to build your your trust and feel um and not really caring what it looks like just take step by step.
0: Yeah. All right, Nadine, what do you say we draw for the fourth prize in our contest that we are so excited to give away? What is our fourth prize? And then I
1: will do the draw. Okay. So I am personally very excited about this one because it is the finished Rainer bit that is designed by Jim Anderson of Higher Horsemanship. And it is beautiful. I have one hanging in my tack room right now. And whoever the winner is, you're going to love it. All right, oh, Nikki, who is gosh. it? The
0: winner is Sarah Bragg. Congratulations, Sarah. We know Sarah personally. She is a beautiful human being. And I am just so thrilled that she won this prize. So congratulations, Sarah. And I cannot wait to connect with you and hear how excited you are.
1: And to anyone who really loved the look of that finished Rainer bit, and if you're a fan of Jim Anderson and Higher Horsemanship, check out their website, check them out on Instagram. And if you're looking to get one of Jim's bits, he's designed several for different um, purposes. You can get in touch with Jim or Andrea Anderson, and they can kind of lead you in the right direction of where you can find one.
0: Wonderful. All right. We only have one more prize to give away in the next episode. So good luck to those of you who still have your name in the draw. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. We can't thank you enough for being with us. And uh, just before we go, can you tell our listeners if they want to learn more about your now's business, HR Prospects, yep. where they can learn about that. And if they're looking to do Any sort of clinics, host a clinic or be in a clinic? What's that look like?
2: Yeah, you can just uh, write me on Facebook. Um, Unfortunately, my page is still Hudson Performance. They won't let me change the name, but uh, Mm -hmm. I still have that one. Um, But yeah, you can message me on Facebook if they're interested or any questions at all. I'm always willing to help.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. you, Thanks for having me thanks for listening today if you know a fellow canadian equestrian or equine business you think needs to be highlighted on the show be sure to email podcast at so we can be in touch and
1: if you enjoyed today's episode the best way to send us some love is by sharing about canada horse podcast and informed equestrian with your friends and leaving a review is
0: always appreciated your support means the world to us Until next time. Ride on, Canada.